event out there uh, in 2001, uh, the week of 9-11, sitting under a tent listening to Andrew Womack talk about spirit, soul, and body, and that changed my life completely. That night changed my life. Uh, I was 18. I'd been to a summer camp years before. My dad didn't preach this way, but there was a guy at a summer camp one time that said, take a piece of paper and write down all the sins that you commit on a normal basis on this piece of paper. And then every night before bed, kneel beside your bed, go down that list, think about every time you did that, and ask God to forgive you so that if you die in your sleep, you won't wake up in hell. That tormented 15-year-old B.J. Sullivan... And when I tell you I spent an hour to two hours every night kneeling by my bed saying I was disrespectful today. When I woke up, my dad woke me up by flipping my lights on and off. And my first thought this morning was very disrespectful. Lord, please forgive me for that. I started from there and I went down the list every night of my life. And I'm telling you, that was also the only time in my life I've ever battled depression. Uh, But you know what? When you're very self-focused, of course you're going to be depressed. Because, I mean, how many of us love every part about ourselves when we look in the mirror? we immediately go to the parts we don't like. And you know what? When you're looking at yourself internally, you do the same thing. You know what? Because we're made of flesh, right? We we see the flesh in the mirror. We feel the flesh. Thank you, Jesus, that I learned the truth that there is something better on the inside of me. There is something on the inside of me that looks just like Jesus. And that night uh, in 2001, when I heard Andrew Womack say that, I went home and I tore up that list. And I'm telling you, it was with fear and trembling. I felt like I was tearing up my ticket to heaven. I mean, literally, I felt like somebody gave me a ticket to heaven and it was a list of my sins. Isn't that crazy? It's the opposite, actually. The ticket to heaven is Jesus taking that list, taking it to the grave and leaving it there. That was, that was the ticket to heaven. But I thought that piece of paper was doing it for me. So I went home that night with fear and trembling, did not go through the list of sins. Andrew said that night, he said, God has forgiven you of your sins, past, present, future. And he said, and if you can't get past the fact that God's forgiven you of your future sins, he goes, you better hope that he has. Because when he died for you, all your sins were future sins. <laughs> they were all future sins when he died 2,000 years ago. And that, that resonated with me. I laid down in bed that night, and all I could do was say, thank you, Jesus. And then fight tormenting thoughts that I sure hope I don't die tonight and wake up in hell. But when I woke up the next morning, I felt more rested. I felt better than I had in years and boy, I knew that was revelation. And let me tell you, that. And, and, and here's how that, here's the crazy part. I was 15 when I decided that I was going to wake up every morning of my life at 5 a.m., open the Bible, and spend two hours with the Lord, reading the Bible, putting on a worship CD, and praying. That's how every day of my life started at 15. And every night ended with me looking at how bad I was, going down this list of sins, and you know what, what, what's the word say about a double-minded person? Unstable in all their ways. And I was being double-minded. I was waking up in the morning focused on Jesus, going to bed at night focused on myself. And uh, it did not go well. Honestly, it was religion. And, and in a way, that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, we're doing a series at our church in Gastonia called In His Presence. It's all about the presence of God. And, and we sing this song. We sing this song, God lives here in our praises. And boy, that's true. I want to talk about today about what that means because if you're not careful, as a believer, you can say things that, uh, that sound like this. Uh, the presence of the Lord was there today. The, the Spirit stepped in. The, the Holy Ghost stepped into our service today. God came to our service. Something happened. And, and I know 
what that means, and I've said those things before, but if we're not careful, saying those things can give us this understanding, even if we don't think about it, even if we don't think it in these words, it can give us like a, a wrongful understanding that God wasn't present, then all of a sudden He was. That the Holy Ghost wasn't here, and then all of a sudden He was. So one of the first things that I said when we started this series a month ago at our church, and the first thing I want to say today is that the presence of the Lord is a constant. The presence of the Lord is always with us. I, would any of us dare to say God is not here? He doesn't see what's happening. He doesn't see us. He doesn't care for us. No, we have all these verses throughout the word that back this up. Colossians 1.17, he existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. He's got to be there to hold it together. Romans 8, 38 and 39 is one of my favorites. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels or demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's presence is an absolute. So what does it mean that His presence dwells in our praises? What does it mean when we're in the middle of worship and, and it's great, right? But all of a sudden, something changes. You can feel it. It's tangible, right? You, you can feel it. Maybe you even feel it in, in your flesh a little bit. Sometimes our flesh responds to things that are happening in the Spirit, you know? Well, it's not about God changing his position where all of a sudden he's here with us. But saying the presence of God is here, saying that his presence dwells in our praises is all about us changing our position. It's about us changing our attention. Because we're going to get into some stuff today and I'm excited about it. I'm going to talk about some of the benefits of being in the presence of the Lord because there are benefits. There's benefits of being in my presence. I'm going to say something that's going to make you laugh. But you can be in this room right now in my presence, but if you don't come and give me some attention, you're not going to laugh at my dumb joke, right? You're not going to benefit from, from Pastor Dean's uh, wealth of knowledge about uh, how to handle your finances. You can be in this room right now with Pastor Dean and not be benefiting from the presence of what that man has, ha has learned and put into practice over the decades of his life he's been here. So you can be in His presence without really being in His presence. There's a difference between that. And the Word even talks about it. There's this great verse. And this is out of the Passion Translation, but it's Psalm 25, 14. And it says, There is a private place reserved for the de devoted lovers of Yahweh, where they sit near Him and receive the revelation secrets of His promises. That's a good one. That's a good verse. We have this great story in the Word that I'm going to keep going back and forth to today over and over again, but it's about Mary and Martha because they were both in the presence of Jesus, Mary and Martha, at this time. They were both in the presence of Jesus. One of them, Mary, was benefiting from being in the presence of Jesus. One of them, Martha, was not. One of them was operating in frustration and comparison and, 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 and anxiety and fear. And the other was operating in peace and love and, and devotion. 
and receiving these revelation secrets that it talked about in Psalms. They were both in the presence of God Himself in the flesh. But something happened with Mary that didn't happen with Martha. It's a great story. I'm just going to go ahead and read that one. You ready? I know you probably know it. But this is from Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Have you ever thought you might take some, moment, take some time and tell, tell God what he's doing right and wrong? It sounds kind of funny when you say it that way. She came to Jesus and said, doesn't this seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha, when I was kind of dwelling on this, it was through the month of January, I was really spending a lot of time thinking about this story. And, and something that I think that uh, the Lord was really showing me is that Martha, like a lot of us in here, was doing good stuff. She wasn't doing wrong things. She was preparing a meal for Jesus and whatever guests were there. She was cleaning a house. She wasn't doing technically anything wrong. She was doing good stuff. But Jesus pointed out that Mary was doing something better. There are really good things, and then there are the best things. And I tell you right now, the enemy would love nothing more than to get a bunch of Christians and a bunch of believers completely distracted and obsessed with good stuff to keep their mind off the best thing off the better things. I mean, you know, there's a lot of us in here that are kind of past the point in our life where, where absolute depravity is, is tempting you. There's, some, there, there's people in this room right now, you know that you're never going to be tempted by, by drugs, by, by living out a, a crazy life where you're just serving yourself forever and, 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 and worried about your own happiness and health over anybody else. There's a lot of us in here that are past that point. So what does the enemy have to tempt you with? Well, you know, if you're not careful, he can burn you out on the good stuff. And if you're never in the best thing, I think he's all right with that. It, it's assignment over presence. We all have an assignment, right? We all have an assignment. But when that is the driving force of our faith, that assignment becomes religion. That assignment becomes religion when it's all about that. You know, I'm married. I've been married to Mama and Papa's daughter, Lisa. We're having our 19th anniversary this year in October. So that's a while. We've been married a while. And uh, we've learned some things. But let me tell you, we've had 19 good years of marriage. We've had 19 great years of marriage. We like being married. And there's never been a day neither, either one of us didn't like being married. We've had our moments. We've, we, we, you know, you have arguments. You have things like that. But there has not been a day when we haven't loved being married. As a husband... I have an assignment. That assignment is to treat my family well, to provide. 
That assignment is to care for my family, to raise up my kids in a godly way. My assignment is to stay faithful to my wife. My assignment is to stay faithful to my family. If that assignment was the driving force in my marriage, then it'd be passionless, it'd be void of intimacy, and it would be that very thing, an assignment. It'd be work. It would be duty. But my marriage is first and foremost about the relationship I have with my wife. It's about how we can serve and love one another well. And when that is happening, when our relationship is first and foremost, let me tell you, the assignment gets done. When our relationship is first and foremost, I don't go out and step out on her because how much I love her, because how much she loves me, because, how, how, because of the passion that is there within our relationship. I raise my children well because of that relationship. I provide out of that relationship. The assignment gets fulfilled when it flows through and from that relationship. See, Mary and Martha, you can see a picture of this with the two of them. Martha was living in a way for an assignment. I got to get this work done. I got to get this meal made. I got to get this house clean. Jesus is here. God is here. I have an assignment. Jesus pointed out, Mary is doing the better thing, the best thing, and it was all about sitting at his feet and listening and and pursuing that relationship. So we have assignments as believers. You have an assignment on your life. You hopefully have a vision for your life that you're moving towards, that you're leading your family towards. That's not a duty. And when it is, you're looking at a very passion-free life that could get old, it can get tiring, it can burn you out. But like Mary, when you're living from the presence of Jesus, instead of for an assignment, the assignment gets completed. The assignment gets done, because all of a sudden, you're having, you're, you're, you're having a moment with Jesus, like Mama had years ago, and you hear a voice, go to Nicaragua. Change this nation one heart at a time. I mean, that wasn't in a moment. God didn't write that on the wall and say, here's your assignment, Karen, now go do it. He told her in a moment of devotion. He told her in a, in a, in a moment that was birthed out of relationship. And here we are all these years later, and, and look what the Lord is doing. Look how this nation is being changed. Look how all these different countries are now being changed through ambassadors. So the presence of God was in that room. Mary was benefiting from that. Martha could not have been benefiting less. That's pretty good. So praise. We sang this earlier. His presence dwells in our praises. That is all about attention. Praise, a a good definition to praise, I like to say... probably close to what the actual definition is, but I always say that praise is an outward expression. It can be an inward expression as well, but it's an expression of our thankfulness, our gratitude. That's what praise is. So praise, by the very definition, is literally turning your attention towards whatever it is you're praising. You can't praise someone if your attention is not pointed in that direction. So as we praise, as we turn our attention 
towards God, as we turn our attention towards Jesus, the Word says in the book of Psalms that His presence dwells right there in that place. It's not because God moved. It's because we moved. We moved our attention from here to Him. We moved our attention from, from, from the wars and rumors of wars to Him. We turn our attention from Facebook to Him. We turn our attention from uh, the, the things that are going on around us at our job to Him. And all of a sudden, we recognize where we're at. We're in the very presence of God Himself. And here, I'm going to go through this list quickly, but here's just a few of the benefits that we will find in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says that there's fullness of joy in His presence. And eternal pleasure. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What do you need freedom from? What do you need freedom from? You're going to find it in the presence of the Lord. And think about it. When your attention is on Him, it's not on all the other stuff you're trying to get freedom from. Isaiah 26.3 says you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Again, that's about saying yes to his presence through your attention. Psalm 91 is a really exhaustive list of what you find in his presence, including rest, refuge, safety, rescue, and protection. Matthew 15.30 talks about healing being found in the presence of the Lord. The story of Zacchaeus will teach you about the acceptance you'll find in the presence of the Lord. 1 John 4.16 says you'll find perfect love in the presence of the Lord. And then we already talked about this, Psalm 25.14. You'll find revelation. You'll find direction. You'll find clarity in your mind even in the presence of the Lord. It's about attention. It's about attention. I'm finding it harder and harder to believe Christians who say... Well, I want to be happy. I just don't know if I can get there. If you're still watching Netflix every night of your life, you don't really want to be happy because you're putting your attention there instead of on Jesus where you find it. You want direction in life? You say, I don't know what I should be doing in life. If you're binge watching a new TV show, then I really honestly don't believe you. And honestly, you probably don't believe you either. Because if you are a believer, then you have this right to turn your attention towards Jesus, enter the very presence of God and find the very thing you're looking for every time. The issue is not with Him ever. It's with our attention. And there is more stuff now to take your attention away. I have built things into my own phone to take my attention. I get notifications from ESPN. I get notifications from, from a couple news sources, right? We've built our own distractions into our own lives. But then we walk around and say, I just wish I could find peace. I just wish I could find joy. I just wish I could find direction. I wish I knew where I was going in life. I wish I knew what to do here. I wish and I wish this. And I'm telling you, you don't believe you. And I don't either. Because if you meant it, turn off the distractions. Let's be like Mary and get to the feet of Jesus. And listen, Mary was always misunderstood. There's a time later in the story where she walks in to the room with an alabaster jar filled with a year's worth of salary of perfume. Remember this story? Let's just say it was minimum wage, right? Let's compare it to today's minimum wage. What is that, like $25,000 or something? Thirty grand. So she walks in with $30,000 worth of perfume and she breaks an expensive bottle. Is it way more than that? What is minimum wage? Does anybody know? Not even that much? Let's just say it's $15,000 worth of perfume. That's still a lot. 
She walks into that room. She breaks it over the feet of Jesus. And what do the people that knew him most say? Why did you do that? We could have sold it and fed the hungry. Assignment. But Jesus says, no, what Mary just did was right. And we're going to talk about this forever. It's in three out of the four Gospels. Do you know it's only in two? Uh, well, well, I'm not going to get into that. But there's three out of the four Gospels. That's in there. But the disciples said, what about the assignment? And Jesus said, forget the assignment for a minute. She did what was right. Think about the Garden of Eden. Why were humans created? Adam and Eve had nobody to go out and bring to Jesus. Adam and Eve had no sick to heal. Adam and Eve had no hungry to feed. The very purpose of our creation, it says in Revelation 4.11, was we were made for His pleasure. Relationship. Do you know what happened when they fell? Well, here's your assignment. You wanted an assignment, I'm going to give you an assignment. Were you that kid in school where the teacher's like, no quiz today, and you were like, oh, man. <laughs> like Ava, my daughter probably says, like Ava. She does love a good assignment. I love a good assignment. I'm going to tell you right now, in my flesh, I am Martha all the way. In my flesh. But thank God, I'm not only flesh. That's just a part of me. Because I have to catch myself. And I have to remember sometimes, I am not about the assignment. It's got to be relationship. It's got to be relationship or I'm looking at a miserable, passionless life. Because you know what happens when you have an assignment? When you have an assignment, there's always this period of time called waiting. Do you know about the waiting times? Anybody in here say, I know about waiting? I mean, come on. Some of you are waiting right now. You've been waiting for a long time. Whatever that means to you, there's always seasons when there's an assignment called waiting. And you have an assignment. And you will, if you haven't already experienced it, a waiting season. But when your life of faith, when your religion, if that's a bad word sometimes, but in this case it's a good word, because when your religion is based out of relationship and not a bunch of rules and assignments, even that waiting time is filled with passion and fire and excitement. Instead of the opposite. Some people get into depression and gloom and, 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 and man, your whole family suffers because you don't know what you're doing and you get frustrated and the people you love most are getting the worst of it because you're around them and you don't want everybody else to see the real thing that's going on. But then when it's just you and your family, you start snapping at them and you start being cruel to them. And yeah, you love them the most, but they're getting the worst part because our waiting period is void of the relationship. When it's all about assignment, your whole demeanor is going to be completely, uh, it's going to be based on what's happening with that assignment. So I want to talk about waiting for a minute. Well, actually, I, I want to read this verse. So we talked about these, these things you experienced in the presence of God. I want to give you a reference for that. It's a great verse. Uh, you don't hear this one a ton, but it's Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. And here's what it says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So two things in this verse. The word acknowledge, again, is about your attention. Acknowledge is referring to what has your attention. And it says right here that when the good things you have in Jesus have your attention, what does this say? That the communication 
of your faith becomes effectual. So think about that word, effectual, effective, have an effect. If we take this verse for what it says, that means you can be filled with faith, which you are if you're a believer. But that faith can be of no effect whatsoever in the natural world. Maybe you got your ticket punched. You're going to be with Jesus forever. That's awesome. That's the spiritual side of this thing. But listen, we live in a world right now that is not only spiritual. Right? We have needs in the flesh. Our flesh needs to line up with our spirit. If you're not seeing that happen, then Philemon says it's because you're not acknowledging the good things you have in Jesus. And as you do acknowledge those good things, your faith begins to have an effect in your life. So if you look at your life and you're taking some inventory and you're like, all right, I, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen my faith actually in action on the outside. It's been a while since I've taken a step of faith. It's been a while since I've experienced a miracle. It's been a while since I've experienced freedom in my body. It's been a while since I've experienced uh, prosperity in my finances. Then the question is, what has your attention? That's the question we're going to keep asking. Are we Martha do we have our attention set on, on the meal that needs to be cooked? That, by the way, Jesus never ordered, right? Well, some of us are really busy cooking a bunch of food that Jesus never ordered. We're really busy doing a bunch of stuff that might be good. But if the Lord didn't open that door, number one, I don't want to walk through it. Number two, if he did open a door and I have an assignment, it needs to flow from our relationship, not the assignment itself. It is the difference between faith and religion. And when we're raising our kids, listen, I'm relating this to my kids the whole time because do you know what happens when you've got a lot of rules in your house and no relationship? That is why people rebel. That is why children run away. Because you give them rules, you have no relationship. And instead of being a loving parent, you're just a dictator with an iron fist. People are going to flee dictatorships every time. But when you've got relationship to go along with those rules... You don't have to worry about a kid running away and rebelling because there's a relationship. Rules with no relationship equals religion. That's what the Pharisees had. That's what the Sadducees had. The Pharisees, man, if you could have seen them, if we could have seen them, some of these guys had these little contraptions built that, that was like a little magnifying glass that wrapped around their headdress and literally stayed in front of their eyes and in front of that on the other side was a tiny piece of paper with little tiny scriptures written so that they could read it with the magnifying glass because the word says keep my word in front of your eyesight at all times and they were like well we better do that that's part of our assignment they looked like idiots and you know what jesus kept calling them out on it because all they could see was the religion he actually said at one point you know so much scripture but you haven't seen that every one of them just point to me they had the assignment. What's that thing? I understood the assignment. They had the assignment. They knew the scriptures by heart. But Jesus said, you just didn't see this part, though. It all points to me. Everything he did was relationship. Everything he did was relationship over assignment. You see it in the very arrival of Jesus because what was the assignment? The government will be upon the shoulders of the Messiah. So what did the assignment-obsessed people think? A king with a crown and a sword and an army is coming. And when he shows up, He's going to drive that sword through the heart of Caesar. He's going to sit on the throne of the Roman Empire. And he's going to give us our country back. And he's going to rule with an iron fist. And then he shows up as a baby in a manger 
surrounded by animals and smells. And there was nothing powerful in the natural about it. That's why everybody misunderstood him. And that's why when his own best friends looked at him, they were like, are you really? Is this really what we've been waiting for? Even John the Baptist, who spent his entire life devoted to preparing the way, who saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove at the end of his life, locked in a prison cell, sent his disciples to say, ask him if he's really the one. You know why? Because he never picked up that sword. In fact, when his best buddy picked up a sword and cut a soldier's ear off, Jesus didn't pick the sword. He picked the ear up and put the ear back on. Everything about him and his life points to the relationship over the assignment. Let's get back to that waiting period. The word wait in uh, the Hebrew. So we're going to read this from a couple of different verses here, but Psalm 25, 5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. In thee do I wait all the day. You probably know Isaiah 40, 31 by heart. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings with eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. There's a reason why you find strength and energy, according to this verse, when you wait upon the Lord. Our understanding of wait, if we're not careful, can be a uh, understanding that it's like a stationary time period where you're standing around doing nothing, immobility, but it could not be more different. The Hebrew word for wait is the word kava. Q-A-V-A-H is how we would spell it in English. And it actually uh, is the word, it means to entwine like two pieces of string wrap around one another. So if you can picture two pieces of string wrapping around one another, entwining together, that is what the word wait means. What is that giving us a picture of? That's giving us a picture of relationship. That is giving us a picture of having our heart wrapped around the heart of the Father, getting infused with purpose and passion in the middle of the waiting. Because when we have a relationship with the Lord, and that's first and foremost, the waiting period is kind of like the honeymoon phase. That's when it's just about you and the Lord. It's just about you and Jesus without some of the uh, distractions that will come because of the assignment. But in that waiting period, it's a chance for you to become infused with His purpose for your life. It's a chance for you to become infused with passion and fire. And the waiting period becomes some of the best times of your life. As a father, my son just made the baseball team, and I'm so proud of him. And the coach said he's got a good chance of being the starting right fielder. He's in sixth grade, so he's an underclassman. He's got a good chance of starting, and I'm really proud of him. My daughter loves doing theater, and she's about to be in the Wizard of Oz play that her, that her school is putting on. These are landmark events in my kids' lives. These are rites of passages. But as a father, if I was living for those rites of passages alone, if I was living for those moments, you know, there'd be a whole lot of time in my kid's life when I was more of an absentee kind of father, right? Because, you know, he just made the baseball team. But you know what we've been doing since he was four and five years old? Is standing in the yard playing catch almost every week of our lives, just throwing a ball back and forth. He just made the team, and that was an awesome landmark. 
that was a destination point in his life. But the waiting, we stood in the yard and threw the ball back and forth. I can't even count how many hours we've done that. Ava Joe has sat with Lisa at a piano and they both sing to the top of their lungs every night of their life, which is why she goes and she tries out for these plays and she gets these parts. You can't just live for the destination. And as believers, we can become very uh, tunnel vision type. We can, we can begin to have tunnel vision and almost become a little bit obsessed with the destination points that the Lord has shown us. Right? He says, this is where I'm taking you. This is what you're called to do. You're called to preach. And all we can do every day of our life is think about the time we're going to stand on stage in front of thousands of people and bring a message. You're called to do this. Well, the journey to get to that point is really just as much a part of the calling as that point. And when we become obsessed with the assignment, when we become obsessed with what God has shown us, which He's shown us out of His grace and mercy, He's shown us to give us a picture, and we're supposed to picture, and we're supposed to get excited about it. But when we're not going to be happy until we get there, then it's become about assignment and not relationship. When we can't see ourselves smiling until the bank account is, is filled and we're paying our bills on time and, and we're able to bless others, that's all great stuff and it's going to happen. But when we're not going to be happy or at peace or at rest until that moment, we've made it about the assignment and we're living out of that spirit that Martha was walking in. But as we choose every moment of our life, relationship over assignment, that stuff's going to happen and the Lord's going to make it happen. It'll be easier than you ever thought it was going to be and you'll be there before you even know it. And didn't Jesus say the same thing? He said there will be people that show up and they say, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. Good stuff. I led people to you. Good stuff. I fed the hungry. Good stuff. I did miracles. Good stuff. And what did he say? But I'll have to tell you, I don't know you. Depart from me. Doesn't that put that in perspective? Doesn't it not put this into perspective because Jesus was trying to show us something? Relationship. He didn't have to come as a man made of flesh and bone, but it was about relationship. And why did he go through what he went through? The passion on the cross. It says, for the joy set before him. That joy was eternity with us. That joy was the relationship. He didn't die on the cross so that we can go feed the hungry. He did not die on the cross so that we can go cast out demons. He didn't die on the cross so that we would be healed. He died on the cross so he could have relationship. And all this other good stuff flows directly from that relationship. Jesus... And John 15, 15 is having a conversation with his followers and he says, I don't call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. There's a big difference between a slave and master relationship or a worker and a boss relationship and a friendship. This again, a slave has an assignment. A worker has an assignment. Boss man gives the worker an assignment. But Jesus says, that's not what we have. I'm calling you friends because I tell you what the Father tells me. A friend is concerned about the relationship. A friend is concerned about making each other happy. 
A friend is concerned about what can I do? What do you need in your life? Let me, let me do that. A friend is concerned about how we can serve one another more so than tell me what you want. I'm going to go do what you say. Give me an assignment. Even in this conversation, Jesus is saying, I don't want a bunch of workers. I just want some friends. I don't want people to go out. I, I don't want a bunch of people that just want to go out and do the stuff. I want that relationship. And we see it over and over again. If he wanted assignment, he'd have told Zacchaeus in the tree, hey, go give everything you've ever stolen back. And then I'm going to come to your house and have dinner. But no, the Son of God himself went and said, I want to go eat with you. And he sat at a table that was probably purchased with stolen money. He was served food that was probably also purchased with dirty money. And we don't have one account of him saying anything about it because he just wanted that relationship. He looked at a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, most likely laying naked in a dirty street. I don't imagine they gave her time to cover herself when they took her from the act of adultery. They threw her in the street. People are condemning her. And Jesus says, if you're perfect, who hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. In other words, there was one person in that circle that could have thrown a stone. And his name was Jesus. And he chose not to. Instead, he looked at her and he says, where are your accusers? She said, there's nowhere. He says, I don't condemn you either. The word condemn means to be declared unfit for use. The word condemn means to be... Well, we'll stick with that one. Declared unfit for use. Jesus looked at her and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He saved her life. He saved her life, and really, according to the law, he could have picked up a stone, thrown her. Really, everybody in that circle probably could have picked up a stone and stoned her according to the law. But we see this again. It was never about the assignment. It's about relationship. And think about the Old Testament. We see this even in the Old Testament. There's a moment when, when the children of Israel mess up big time, and God told Moses, I'm going to destroy them and start over with a new nation, it'll start with you. Okay, so let's stop. God said this. So the will of God was to destroy the Hebrew people and start a new nation through Moses. And Moses said, wait. First of all, I didn't save these people. You did. I didn't promise them a promised land. You did. You have to do what you said. And I love this verse. God says in the book of Exodus, you've changed my mind. Do you know assignments people, assignment-based people are obsessed with what is the will of God. Relationship people, it's more of a conversation where, you know what, we might take a left turn or a right turn, but you know what, like Abraham, God is with me whether I turn left or right. Does he have a perfect path? Absolutely. He's got a perfect path laid out for me, and, and if I hit that right every time, that's awesome. If I don't, then I got a God who's going to redirect my steps, who's going to get me back on track every time, and I'm blessed no matter what. Why? It's not about making an A on the assignment. It's because of the relationship. God told Moses, you've changed my mind. I'll spare them. And it went back to their relationship. If Moses, even though he was the law bringer, there was still a part of him that understood this relationship. And he said, okay, wait. Yeah, maybe they didn't do great on the test. 
Maybe while you were giving me the Ten Commandments, they created an entire another deity made of their gold and began to worship a golden cow. But also, you, there's this, but also you love them. But also you save them. And also I'm asking you not to do this. And God says, all right, fine. I won't. We see this from the very beginning, that it's all about the relationship and not the assignment. And that's powerful. If we can get to the point when we understand that, if we can change the way we think from an assignment-based faith to a relationship with Jesus, it will ignite every moment of your life with passion and purpose. You'll find just as much fulfillment in the waiting as you will in the destination points. The destination points are great. But let me tell you a secret about them. As soon as you get to the next point you've been dreaming about, that's step one of the next dream God puts in your heart. As soon as you're there, you enjoy it, but then boom, there's another thing God's showing you and you got to go there. As soon as that school starts in Nicaragua, God says, hey, there's another place I need you to go start a school. And if we lived assignment to assignment, if we lived that way, it would be miserable. It would be miserable. But living like Mary at the feet of Jesus, turning our attention towards Him every moment, even over the moments when we are moving forward on our assignment, right? Instead of living for His attention, for His presence, for God, it's living from his presence. It's living from that place with Him. And it is a difference. It is a major, major difference. It will change your life. So Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was experiencing every benefit. Martha was just running around. And, and think about those benefits we talked about. Peace. Martha was completely flustered and frustrated. She was comparing herself to her sister and she was getting, she was so upset. She asked God, don't you see what's happening? Is this actually what you want to happen? Does that sound familiar? Mary, Mary was experiencing all these awesome benefits. Joy. Martha was not experiencing joy. Cleaning that house and cooking that meal. She again was filled with anxiety and frustration. She wasn't experiencing freedom, but she was in the very presence of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, you're very concerned about these things. But Mary has chosen best. There are good things in your life you're doing. Your assignment is a great thing. God has called you to do great things. God has called this church to do great things. This church has done great things. You have a call of God on your life. Do you want to get to the things he's shown you? Point one, and also the place you will never leave, you don't ever have to, is relationship. Just let it flow from there. Let it flow from the relationship at all times. And when you're looking at the next few months and you're like, how am I going to uh, keep, how am I going to keep moving forward? What, what is my plan? What are my goals? That's great. Do that. But don't ever put the priority of any of those things over your relationship. Pick up the word and read it. And this is the best way to relate to the Father. This is the best way to relate to Jesus. Put on an album and worship on your way to work instead of listening to the murder podcast or whatever. I know y'all like those murder podcasts. People love those. 
Instead of the, I'm not against watching TV even or movies. Like my in-laws can tell you, I, I love some of that stuff. My, my family has a good time watching movies and some TV stuff together. I'm not against that. I'm not saying even, I wasn't saying earlier that you can't watch TV and also have a good relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if there's areas where you're lacking, but you have time for all the other stuff, then it's time to shake up the priority list because that relationship with Jesus is not first and foremost in your life. And as a believer, you'll begin to find yourself filled with religion and working out of assignment and not living out of relationship. So that's the commitment I've been making uh, these last few weeks, and that's what I've talked to my family about even, and that's what I've talked to our church about. I want to be known by the Father as somebody that's his best friend, that as someone that's going to pursue his presence over even completing the assignment he's placed on my life. I want our church to be known that way. I want our church to be a place where people find the presence of God. Like we're doing great things at FCC Gastonia. We've we're, we're, we're got a partner with Ridgeview Community Charter where we, we took enough coats to this school, these underprivileged kids, and the, the principal said, I have 38 kids that don't have coats. And our church showed up and, and we bought coats. And the week before it snowed a couple months ago, we delivered over 50 coats to this school. So these kids were able to go play in the snow wherever they were at with a coat and stay warm. That's a good thing. But you know what? Can't be about that. That is an overflow of the relationship with Jesus. That's an overflow of our attention being turned towards a Savior who loves us, to a Father who cares, to a Savior that says, stop cooking, stop cleaning the house, and just come sit at my feet. You don't have a guest who's more important than Jesus coming over. All right? Sometimes we got to let the grass be long. Like Paul Paul used to tell me, we ain't raising grass, we're raising kids. A little pool in your backyard, killing the grass is not a big deal. Your kids are going to have fun in it. But man, this is what Jesus has always wanted. This is what the Father has always been after. And you'll do great things. And you'll do even greater things in your life than you've ever imagined as you acknowledge these good things you have in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And doesn't the word say that actually in Ephesians that you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can ask, think, or imagine according to the power of God working within you? What does Philemon say about the power of God working within you and becoming effectual? It happens when you acknowledge the good things you have. It happens as you acknowledge His presence. You'll go further than you've ever dreamed about. You'll go higher than you've ever thought to climb. The dreams that God has put in your heart, you'll see them fulfilled. And then you get there and He'll give you one of the ones you never even thought about or dreamed about in the natural. And you'll be like, how did I get here? How am I here? And it's going to happen because of the relationship. And that's good news. It takes the pressure off. It really takes the pressure off. You couldn't do it alone on your best day. It's just the truth. God's called you to do things that are so big, you can't do them without you. That's why when you start thinking about them in the natural, you get overwhelmed. I can't do this. You are right. You're correct. You cannot. But it's not just you. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside. You got a Father who's on your side. And if He's on your side, who can be against you? You got a Savior who paved the way and who is constantly and consistently 
consistently saying, lay down the spatula and come sit at my feet. Lay down the mop and come sit at my feet. Stop being obsessed with where I've called you to go and just be still and know I am God as you sit at my feet. Amen. Man, thank you guys so much for having me.